0: Okay, let us get going. Um,
1: okay, good to see you all here.
2: You know, I think, um, when I was uh, living at the Zen Center, when
0: I was a teenager, Um, and after the first flush of my kind of um, romantic idealization of Zen faded after about a year. And I realized that it was just a bunch of human beings, many of whom had some pretty deep problems (laughs) together trying to figure out how to live in a way that uh, didn't lead to more insanity and pain for themselves and for others. Um, And after I started to stop looking for gurus and, and just quick enlightenment, I start to get a little annoyed with the way that Zen Dharma talks sound, the um, sort of the paradox, the kind of exotic riddles, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I kind of gravitated to Ezra because I, um, I really liked his down-to-earth way of talking about practice, uh, about the mind, But the weird thing is like, the longer I do this, and the more I try to be true to what I think actually needs to be conveyed, the more I find myself feeling like I need to say things that sound like exactly the things that I was so irritated by when I was younger. Um, And I can actually kind of now appreciate um, from the inside why some of those talks, some of those old stories sound the way they do cause it's really hard actually to get across um, what practice is about um, in a way that is just fully straightforward um, that sometimes the paradoxical formulation, isn't trying to be cutesy, you know, but it's actually like the, the only way the most accurate way something can be conveyed. So I'm kind of like, I feel a little bit of remorse for all the judgment that I had inside as I as I listened to um, some of those talks. And said, oh, why can't this just be more straightforward? This is all just overly complicated. Um, so, um, in a bit, I want us to. I'm going to sit for a bit, but I'm going to. Um, I think I'm going to spend tonight telling you um, a little bit about. Something that's actually been um, that I've been working on in my own practice over the last week or next couple of weeks um, that uh, I almost talked about last Tuesday, but was still very raw. And no, not actually, I guess it's been a few weeks because we didn't meet last Tuesday. I almost talked about it the, the week before that. And I thought, you know what? It's still so fresh and raw. I'm still kind of in it. And so um, let me just wait a little bit longer. And I feel, I think, ready to talk about it tonight. Not that it's fully resolved, and I'm not sure that that'll ever be fully resolved. It's, it's something so deep, it's come back over and over again. And I'm sure and that's partly one of the things I want to talk about is how some of our deepest scripts will keep coming back. And part of the practice is learning how to get carried away by them and maybe each time carried away a little bit less for a little bit less time, you know, or with a little less fervor. And just to, um, to, to learn to ride out the, the psychic and emotional waves that come when we are activated in our own particular ways. And I think each of us probably has our own particular buttons and our particular reactive patterns. And so I, I'm gonna share one of mine and how I practice with it. Not because I think the content of my scripts are one that necessarily shared by all of you, so I think some of you might, I don't, I don't think there's nearly as much variety <laughs> among human scripts as we sometimes like to think there are. I think there are, there are clusters of them. So I think some of you will actually be able to re- relate quite well to what I'll share tonight, but others will have different patterns. I think then the trick for you will be, how do you make it useful listening to what I'm gonna say? Um, and I think it's sort of looking at the, the, the bigger patterns, the structures of what is it to get swept away and to believe? your reaction, and then to catch yourself and then to start working with it. Um, So um, and actually, yeah, so I I talked with Ezra um, in the week where I was really in it. um, And he said this to me, which is interesting. He said, um, the talks that he's heard that have meant the most to him are when someone speaks authentically from something that's alive for them in their own practice. Um, He feels most genuine authentic when he's doing this and he feels most connected to a speaker when they do that as well. It's not necessarily when you're communicating something that's like important, some key point about practice, right? But rather like just simply the authentic sharing of a struggle, you know? Um, So um, that's what I wanna do tonight. Um, It'll have to do broadly with issues of, um, expectations, uh, wanting certain outcomes, and burnout. Um, what happens when you when you want certain things to happen based on what you do, um, and whether they happen or not? Becoming invested in certain outcomes is a recipe for burnout, and so I'll be talking about that in broad strokes. Um, so, um, so. Let's just ease into sitting. We'll sit for a bit. I'll talk for a bit, and I'm trying. I'm going to do my best to leave some time for um, conversation because I would love to hear the ways in which what I share tonight resonates, and the ways in which um, it may not, and also your own personal sort of versions of what I'm talking about. Um, so. I'm going to begin the sitting tonight as we settle into the posture, that, whatever posture you want to take. As you just begin to take a few deep breaths, breathing in deeply, fully, feeling the spine elongate, feeling the head float up to the ceiling.
1: In the lower back,
0: lengthen. Breathing in and out deeply a few times to settle into this moment and into this posture. And just take as many of these deep breaths as you like. And then when you feel like you're ready just to begin sitting, let the breath find its own rhythm and pace and depth. Of course, you're already aware of the breath in some broad way. But before you begin following the breath in earnest, just Have a capacious, open awareness of the feeling of your whole body just sitting here. The sensations throughout the body, where parts of the body may be sore, uncomfortable. Also, Perhaps parts of the body that feel actually quite alive, full of energy, soft and loose. Begin to get a sense of the pattern of how the body feels, where things feel tight, where things feel open.
1: Just taking it in, letting it all be as it is.
0: Feel the quality of the air in the room you're in on any skin that is exposed and bare. Does the air in the room feel warm, cool? And where your skin is not exposed, not bare, can you feel your clothes, the sensations produced by the contact between the clothes you're wearing and your skin, maybe especially where you are breathing. There's some slight movement of the torso and therefore some slight movement against some fabric. Can you feel the sensations produced by that slight movement of skin
1: against fabric? Continuing to be aware of the body,
0: the feel of the air clothes on your skin. Continue to be loosely aware of the breath. Include in this capacious, open awareness now the sounds around you. Obviously the sound of my voice, but also the other kinds of sounds wherever you happen to be sitting. You're not trying to get a fix on sensations, on sounds, on the breath, just letting it all be. Throughout the course of an in-breath and out-breath at different moments, the breath will be predominant in your awareness, at other times, sounds, at other times, sensations, and sometimes two or three things at once. Let awareness just receive with open hands
2: whatever comes to it.
0: And when thoughts bubble up or pull you away, when feelings or emotions bubble up and perhaps pull you away. Just notice what kinds of thoughts, what kinds of feelings. Do the thoughts or feelings have particular bodily components or correlates? Is a thought connected to a tightening up somewhere in the body? Notice that. The emotion, how does it feel in the body? Is the emotion connected with particular scripts or
1: storylines? Notice that.
0: Like sounds, like sensations, just receive thoughts, receive emotions as part of what emerges and passes away moment by moment. Can you stay open in this way, just to the full spectrum of sensations, breath, body, thoughts, emotions, seeing things emerge, call to your attention or awareness, stay for a bit and then fade away. If it feels hard to stay open in this way without getting completely lost in thought. Then feel free to anchor your awareness in the breath, the breath in the nose, the chest, or the belly. Use the breath as a place to come back to you. Stay with the breath. And then once in a while, see if you can loosen your grip on the breath and just stay open just aware. And again, if you get lost, pulled away by thoughts or emotions, then come back to the anchor.
1: But if you can stay open, just aware without using the breath, Just
2: stay in that open awareness.
0: One interesting thing about this open awareness is that you can't actually fix your mind on it. As soon as you try to hold on to this open, spacious awareness with effort, you lose it. The very effort to hold it makes it disappear. All that we need to do is attend to the ways in which different sensations, thoughts, feelings, Call our mind away from this openness. Notice that pulling away. And then in that very noticing of what pulls us away from open awareness, the possibility of that awareness emerges. The awareness itself is not something we can make happen. Notice what pulls you away. And by doing that, You're doing all that needs to be done. Sometimes when we stay in this space of open awareness, we can start to feel unsettled precisely because there's nothing we can do to stay here. It's not the result of some activity. It's not an accomplishment. It's just this openness that's there. And actually a sense of anxiety or unsettledness can often emerge within this openness. Just notice that, notice the urge to do something. Notice the unsettled feeling of not knowing quite how to proceed, that there must be something to do.
2: Just notice that.
0: We are so deeply programmed to always want to do something every moment, to be doing, doing. It's natural to bring that energy into meditation itself. But can you now become just aware of that urge to do, whether that be to follow the breath or to somehow stay aware, aware, By becoming aware of the urge to do, we're creating space and allowing a space of being to emerge. If you're wondering whether you might be spacing out, just check in once in a while. Can you feel the body? Can you hear sounds? Can you feel the air on your skin?
1: If so, you're here.
2: Just continue being here, just sitting.
0: As your awareness settles, as the mind becomes clear, as the body and mind settle, stay attuned for the kinds of thoughts that will flip by. Notice them, notice the tone of voice they have. As you just receive sensations, the breath, the feeling of the body environment, What quality does that awareness have? What qualities does that reception have? Are you tight anxious? Is there an urgency in the body? Fold that into your awareness. The quality of the awareness you have, fold that into the awareness. That's just part of what you are noticing. Is there a thought, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing, or I can't do this right, or
1: whatever, just notice. As you settle deeper,
0: can you feel the tendrils of expectation reaching out into the future, checking whether this moment feels as it should, wondering when things will feel as they should, a sense of how things are supposed to go. Notice the energy of expectation, how it feels not to just be here, but to be leaning into the future, feeling like even awareness should feel somehow differently if you could just do this right, or if it went the way it's supposed to. The point is not to not expect. The point is to feel what expectation feels like. This is never about changing how we think or feel. It's always only about being aware of however it is that we feel. So just be aware if expectation is on the scene. Three of my favorite lines in Ezra's text, What Is Our Life About?, go like this, no one special to be, nowhere to go, nothing to do, just be.
1: Can you feel the ways in which you might want
0: to be special, to be doing this well, to be doing this right? Or a way in which you're judging yourself for not doing it right? Can you feel the energy of wanting to get somewhere? Where could you go? What does it feel like to not be fully content with this moment as it is?
1: We'll sit for a few more minutes in silence and then I'll mark the end of this period.
0: Okay, everyone, take your time coming out of the sitting. Feel free to move your body, stretch.
1: I'll begin in just a minute.
0: I'm gonna start talking, but take a moment and and just register if you have any questions or comments about the practice we just did um, so that you can bring them up later if you want to. I don't wanna take a time right now, but I wanna make sure that you at least pause to remember any questions you might have. Um, a little bit of what, a little bit of what inspired me was, um, was actually reading uh, a little bit by Krishnamurti um, earlier today. And um, and I actually don't know that much about him. I know he was a profound influence on Tony Packer. And one of the big reasons that she left the Rochester Zen Center um, after being named um, Kaplos Dharma heir and basically just gave up organized religion of any kind. Um, and reading Krishna Birdie, you can really hear. I, I, I've only recently started looking at anything he wrote. You can really hear the influence he had on Tom Packer. I mean, Packer sounds a lot like him, actually. And, um, and, um, and Tony Packer is amazing. Um, so, um, but he says something about attention and inattention uh, in one of the passages I was reading today. And he's like, you can't actually maintain attention because effort. Um, destroys attention, any kind of um, active attempt to hold on to something with attention actually immediately makes it impossible. The thing to do is to be as attentive as possible to inattention. Um, Notice the ways in which you lose attentiveness and by doing that you produce the space for attention to emerge on its own, which itself cannot be produced by any human activity. It's just, and for him, I think he just meant attention in the sense of open awareness. I I used the term awareness in the meditation just now. Um, but um, So so I just want to tell a little story about um, uh, a little practice incident that happened over the last few weeks. Um, I think it was about three weeks ago on a Friday in my uh, English 138, class that's called What is a Self? And um, for the last five years or so, when I've taught this class, I've always near the end of the semester, um, had them do some exercises that um, are intended to get the students to reflect on their values and priorities. Um, And one that I've done regularly is a meditation on uh, Contemplating Our Priorities in Light of Our Mortality by Joan Halifax. I've actually uploaded the recording that I made in, during that class a few weeks ago to the Intro to Zen podcast. So if you wanna um, hear that, rec- that meditation and do it yourself, you can find it there. So it's, it's one of the recent episodes. It basically asks um, the person to imagine that they're old on their deathbed uh, picture themselves in detail um, and um, and think about things like what matters to you now? Who's around you? What, what, what are the things in your room? What kinds of things would you like to have accomplished by this time in your life as you are about to die? Um, and then ask a person to imagine themselves 10 years from the age they are. Um, on their deathbed, and each time the questions are slightly different because shes just Halifax is doing this to kind of draw out different things that people might reflect on when thinking about their mortality. Uh, one month from now, one week from now, tonight, you you go to sleep and realize that you're not going to wake up. Um, what is it that um, made your life meaningful? you know um And of course, the idea is that um, by taking seriously the fact that we live finite lives, um, we have a chance to think about what it is that we would like to spend our time doing, realizing, experiencing. over the years, when I've done this, and I think Halifax does this at our hospice training program at Upaya, the uh, Zen Center in Santa Fe, um, you know, what people often feel is that it's not that I wish I was rich or that I had a big house or this or that. Though sometimes it's like that, but often it's certain kind of relationships that come to mind, certain feelings, certain qualities of mind that they. Which they um, would like to have uh, cultivated by um, the time they die. Um, so, um, so I've done this a number of times, and it's always a very powerful experience, um, but often one that leaves me feeling profoundly grateful, um, grounded, connected. Not this Friday. Um, and um, in fact, I felt, prof- I felt profoundly unsettled. Uh, I was actually gonna post it on my Instagram account um, for, um, you know, college students to, to do if they wanted to, just, you know, make it available. But I felt so unsettled by this experience, I decided not to. I said, mm, I, like, I don't know what this is gonna do if I just put this out there and I don't wanna, I don't have any responsible for people having like existential crises, you know? So, um, so I didn't, and then the next, um, you know, I, I actually got talked to the students um, the following class, and found out that it, some of them had the very sort of typical experience of, you know, really, sort of deepening a sense of what matters, relationship, you know, feeling like it was clarifying, um, and but some of them also felt very unsettled as well, and so I, was, I felt like glad that I hadn't actually like just sort of put this out there. The so I put it on our podcast, because I felt like the people who listen to the intro design podcast just have a a deeper engagement with practice. I felt like this is something appropriate for that context, not necessarily appropriate for an Instagram account that's followed by very casual meditators, you know, uh, college age meditators. So, um, and I, I felt really good about that decision in retrospect. Um, so, um, but what I want to talk about is my own unsettled feeling. Um, so so I'll, I'll also say, actually, like this is this is a very powerful meditation. It's meant to be. I mean, it's it's it, it raises the stakes in order to produce a kind of like bright light. Say, like what really matters, you know. Um, And I'll actually say that there's a a friend of mine who did it um, early in the pandemic, because I recorded a version of this like back in April or May. So if you look back on the Intro to Zen podcast, you can find another version where I talked about mortality and death. She did it back then. And actually after many months of reflection, after that very profound experience, she decided to give up her job at Williams um, and, and realized that actually, she didn't really want to do this anymore for her, her living um, and, and has completely altered the course of her life. Um, it wasn't obviously just that, um, but it, it kind of gave her an opportunity to reflect in a really deep way. And it was one, that's wonderful, actually. I, I, it was wonderful to hear that. Um, so I left this experience wanting very much to quit my job. Um, and um, for me, this is not a new new feeling, um, and it's um, it's actually kind of boringly not new. Um, so, um, but in any case, it came back really strong, um, and and let me tell you, I just completely got hooked by these thoughts <laughs> completely. I mean, started immediately thinking like, oh my god, like I can't, like you know okay, well, it's like late in the year. What am I going to do? Do I have to, you know, I have, I have two more years of chairing left. I mean, am I just going to completely burn my bridges here? You know, um, and then like, you know, my family likes it in Williamstown, but it's so hard to find another job here. It's a small, you know, like literally going to details about like, you know, like like not thinking like, huh, why do I have been more like, okay, this is, this is how I feel. This is what I got to do. Let's act, you know. Um, it took me two or three days of being completely lost in these beliefs um, before I I was able to kind of see it as something to practice with. And I have practiced for a long time. Um, And so if I just, I say this because I actually think there is a profound shift in how experience emotional reactivity. There are many things that I feel on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis, which when I was younger would have completely thrown me for a loop um, that I can be aware of and do not unsettle me, sometimes at all, sometimes a little bit, but in no way that's really big. Um, So, you know, when people talk about equanimity and balance as being one of the fruits of practice, it's real. Um, but I think, um, but I also want to say, but not for everything. And I think I said this once like, work is a particularly big button for me. You know, I can deal with a lot of stuff um, with some equanimity, but when it comes to work, something deep gets triggered. Um, and so I started sitting with it. And I started especially doing soft belly practice because as Sylvia noted really well, it's like, it's a really good way of staying in the body when you just want to do anything, but be in the body when you just want to believe your thoughts and, and run with them. Um, so I just stayed, I started saying, okay, I, I still want to leave, but I can't, I'm not gonna do this. I'm gonna just suck it up. I'm gonna practice with this for a while. Um, and, and I started hearing certain thoughts that started to like become not just the truth, but actually start to emerge as storylines, which I could see a bit in a hazy way. I don't wanna exaggerate, really like just a bit as scripts, as storylines. And there were two big ones that I saw emerge. Um, One is what's the use of teaching what I do at the college, when it's not going to have any effect anyway, you know, um, it's not doing any good. Um, or I can't know if it's doing. I might do some good once in a while, but basically, I'm not doing anything that's useful, you know. Um, and then that was probably the, the deep one. Okay, and a related one was I had I realized there were, I had become set in this identity as a person who could help other people. I was the spiritual guy who could give people access to meditation and do good for them. So like those two were like a nice double whammy, right? Um, And so, um, and I think one of the reasons why I think those thoughts about I'm not doing it, it was because of some conversations we've been having in class. You know, and also, I think just, you know, the reality of the difficulty of life being a college student, where I think students are really genuinely interested in practice. But to get through college, it's kind of hard. You know, sometimes you just got to duck your head and do what you have to do, work piles up. Sometimes you really can't afford to look too deeply within or for too long. Because it becomes really hard to just actually do what you have to do to make it through, Um, and I was I was getting a lot of that from conversations I had with my students. And I said, you know, not only am I not really being very helpful because, like, the practice isn't doing any good, but also it's like, am I even doing a good thing by introducing them to this? You know. Um, But the key thing that became clear. Um, And this is probably took me about five days, four or five days of sitting in kind of pretty unpleasant stew of negativity and reactivity. Um, Was that I realized I'm worrying about outcomes. I'm worrying about whether or not what I do will have a particular effect. And if it doesn't, then it's not worth it. You know, Um, not annoy is not worth it. I'm going to fail. I'm no good. Um but also, I'm not who I see myself as. You know, so those two things, like there's like an identity that was being destabilized along with the,, um, and as soon as I saw those thoughts clearly, I could feel this groundlessness beneath them, the thing that I didn't want to feel that lay beneath these thoughts, which felt so unpleasant, which was, what would it be like to just offer what I have to offer without worrying about what kind of outcomes will happen? Or who I am as a person that does this. What about not worrying about that? Not worrying about what would happen, not worrying about the results and not worrying about who I am as someone who does this. And I could see beneath the thoughts that were all based on the identity and the outcomes and feel the kind of just ground give way beneath me. And I could say, no wonder, (laughs) like, I don't want to hang out in this space beneath because it's so... Jim Sharp, a while back, talked about feeling something's lost, you know, when you're meditating. And it felt like that, like there's no way to orient. Just, Just, you just do what you think should be done, but you can't know, can't control what's gonna happen because of it. It's not because you're a particular kind of person. In any case, um, I could see how um, the desire for outcomes and the seeing myself as a kind of person who could be a helper were classic ways of trying to fix and get control over the groundlessness that lay underneath these storylines that, and you know, the thing is about storylines sometimes like you feel good about them, you know? And so you can buy into them and say, oh yeah, I am being helpful. You know, I am a good person. Right. And you can buy and then, and then you're like, oh, and then such a fragile house of cards, right. To be living in. And then that's what happened that, that meditation, I started to feel like, oh, I am trying to f- solidify the ground beneath my feet. And the irony of course, is that by doing that, I wasn't even being true to what I thought I was teaching. <laughs> right? Cause of course the whole essence of what I actually saw myself as doing was introducing the liberatory power of experiencing that groundlessness. And I was using that very identity and that very task as a way of creating a ground. So you can you can make an ego or a self-identity out of anything, including selflessness, <laughs> you know, that's, it's like, it's anything can be used f- for the purposes of stabilization and control. Um, so, you know, I think there was a, a moment a, a couple of years ago where I, I had really, you know, come found peace with being, at Williams, which is, I don't know what I could do here, but I just have something I feel like I could offer. I'll just offer, why the hell not? And Ezra's um, partner, Elizabeth Hamilton, who is a teacher, is actually, a, she taught at um, community college in San Diego and taught in the very way that I teach now at Williams. And she's the one who encouraged me to do this. I said, what the hell? Like, you know, if you don't like it in the end, go like quit. And, you know, if they fire you, so what? You know, you don't, you barely want to be there anyway. Um, And, and it turned, it became like a wonderful way to be at Williams, but over time it calcified into an identity, calcified into concern about outcomes and results. And what I could feel during that meditation was the burnout that was building up simply by being overly concerned, about what effects I was having, being wanting to know, you know, so I'm not saying I don't have any effect, that I can't do any good, but it's that's not my business. It's not anyone's business, you know. Um, just offer openly. So, um, in any case, it, I think I just wanted to, I think, tell, talk about this because, first of all, that experience of being hooked. It's powerful. Whatever the big button is for any of you, it's gonna, it's, we're just gonna, there are times we're just gonna be lost, you know, believing full heartedly whatever scripts we have, even if we have at some point in the past, as I had seen them, like this is as if it, you had like amnesia about any kind of practice you've done previously, you know, just totally forget. And then I think, I think I just wanted to touch on this because of, deep nature of the desire to control and to produce security, a sense of security by finding something that we can get a handle on, a concern with like having a set result if we do this. Like, you know, and I think you can imagine that in so many different contexts, that the context of political activism, right? Um, The context of working on with your patients or clients, right, with your students, some of your teachers, um, also with your children, I know I had to do. I've done, The thing is, I could actually be this way with my own child. For some reason, I couldn't be this way with my students. That's the that was the interesting thing. Um, I can actually be okay with my kids, especially my son, who has been going through some difficulties. I can be. I can give him space and not have to fix him. But somehow, when it comes to career, it feels different. You know, and I think we each have our own different triggers or different buttons. Um, So, um, okay, anyway, I don't know if this resonates with anyone. I'll pause there, leave space for people to ask questions about the practice we did, about what I said, or just to share your own perspective on any of this. So, um, and if you felt like this resonated at all, that would be interesting to hear too, because I feel like maybe it was like quicker and more superficial than I thought it would be. It actually sounds kind of boring. funny thing is when you're in it, it sounds so important But afterwards, it's just like, uh, <laughs> drama.
3: <laughs> I, did, I was really glad to hear it. I get stuck in these crazy brain loops and hearing about yours. Uh, I, you, you got out
4: of it. <laughs> I don't. So that was really helpful for me. It was there's,
1: there's actually hope. really there's important.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks Jones. It is hilarious though, actually. Like after when you're out of it, just like, oh my God, what a what a soap opera. <laughs> I feel embarrassed actually now that's like okay, you almost think I'm so petty. And, oh, okay, More thoughts. <laughs> I,
3: I,
4: um, I wonder if we don't all have this. So, Sylvia,
0: could you speak up a little bit? Sorry, it's hard to hear. Yeah.
4: Can you hear me now? Is this better? Yeah. Okay. I'm wondering if some of this like self-identity and questioning and if it's important. I hate to say this, but I think a lot of it is how we're raised and what society makes us feel like we don't have like what do you do and you don't say anything. Who are you like you, you can't be compartmentalized you are a free floater, What if you just say uh, maybe maybe we should ask each other, what do you love doing what's your passion. Because otherwise you get labeled. And and then as a teacher or as a whatever, mother or whatever. But why do we have to be, be anything? We can just be who we are. And I think that that's a lot of our self-worth is being questioned. And this is the only time we have the guts to do that is when we're sitting, I think. Otherwise, it's just too big a question. We just want to stay away from it. So in a way, I just feel like it's something really fundamental that we're, from, the, from when we're born, we're some, it, it gives us security to, like you said, to, to be able to, okay, this, this person's a tomboy, this person's the athlete, this person, but we're all a little bit of everything. So that openness of mind and meditation is also what we have to do to see when we see each other and when we see ourselves. And that's, it's not, it's
0: hard to do all the time. I'm so glad you said that, Sylvia. It's, it's, it's very powerful. And you know, the irony is I'm actually a better parent and a better teacher when I'm not worried about being a teacher or a parent, right? That's, that's the funny thing. It's like, as soon as you start to be identified and then you have to get results fitting that role, then actually it starts to become like a chore, a performance and burnout ensues, right? Um, Yeah.
4: And unauthentic.
2: Mm
3: -hmm. This isn't really about practice, but I I resonated with the, um, the way you spoke about starting something and feeling really open and available to it and without expectation and then over time calcifying into it. In calcifying into your own expectations of what you should be or how you should be in it, which no one did to you, but you, and I say you meaning, you know, I'm speaking Mm -hmm. for for myself. Um, And I just wonder how to, I feel like I'm always trying to understand how to maintain that feeling of self as like separate from the things that I do, or the behaviors that I participate in, or the places that I live that feels allows me to feel kind of like free and disconnected, which allows me to feel more connected ultimately. Um, yeah, I wish I knew how to do that in all areas of my life more totally.
0: You know, Marnie, one thing I came to um, sort of it, it, after this particular wave of identification was like, I think it's kind of just inevitable. I, I don't, it's like we sort of get, you know, we we, we sort of get caught, we. And I think maybe the, the trick is not to figure out how not to get caught, but just to acknowledge that, we're, that the ego will like go through these like solidifications and then to see that as the path, right? Yeah. Right. I, I, talked to, well, I talked to Ezra on the phone about this and he totally said, yeah, I don't He doesn't know a single Zen teacher who doesn't have exactly these worries about like, am I having any effect? And, and he actually one time talked, he gave wonderful story about coming to a sitting and only like one person was there. And he's like, so, oh man, what kind of teacher am I? You know, I'm just like, I'm, I'm no good. And then he realized there he was like an hour early. <laughs> and then he said, well, that was good to see that, that ego trip. <laughs> actually to even go a little bit another Marnie, I think I, cause I think then the one worry would be like, if we figure like, if we think there's a right way to do it, right. So we never get caught, you know? Yeah. And that could be another kind of slightly detourish path. Yeah.
3: Right. Well, it, it makes me think about, cause I, I agree with you. I feel like I've um, like, a, of course it's inevitable and we can always just over time, like come back to the self and that will just happen as it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, But it also reminds me of what you said earlier about passing through feelings of discomfort and just learning over time, how to pass through them faster or yeah. easier or with more tools. And so, yeah, I want to learn how to, I think that that's, maybe that's more what I mean is like how to pass through it faster or how to be aware of it. So I can pass through it with more ease than I well, have the passed.
0: The last time I went through this, it lasted three months. <laughs> so, okay, well. so Actually, there is some improvement. Yeah. <laughs> oh, And you should have seen what I put my wife through. Oh, I felt so bad for her. She was like, okay, she probably said, okay, you're so miserable. Go ahead, quit. We'll move anywhere. (laughs) I'm glad I didn't. Because the funny thing is like, we don't need to. Like, it's not about the job. It just would have happened somewhere else, right? That's the thing. Yeah. Well to say thirty five maybe it's a good moment to, to it was it, it was really nice to to hear people who spoke tonight. thank you. um can we sit for like one minute and and then say good night? I always love doing that. okay, so thank you all for coming. It's really nice to see you.
1: Okay, my friends, good to see you all. Take care. Thank you, Bernie. Mm,
3: thank you. Good
2: night.
0: Thanks, Bernie. Bye,
3: Thanks, bye. Bernie. Thank you, Bernie. Thank you, Bernie. Thank you. you.
2: Bernie. Thank bye, you. Jim. Good night.